Ronananian. I'm one of those mechanics that everybody loves to hate. I'm an equal opportunity offender. And there's a road in the Christian The Car Doctor. We just want to be here for you. That's what this radio show is all about. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, start your engines, and if they don't, you definitely want to stick around for the next two hours because I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. I'm here to take and answer your calls and help you make sure that that engine does start and everything else involved with your automobile or truck or whatever it is you drive to thrive and survive within this great country of ours as we move forward down the road. And let's talk about it at 855-560-9900. Awful lot going on in the next two hours. I think actually we're going to refrain from doing anything other than conversations with you. So when you pick up the phone and give us a call, that's what we're going to try and do for the next two hours, get back into it. We were out last week. If you will recall, we were up at the uh, Westchester Marriott with the group over at TST Technician Service Training. What a great show that was. Uh, close to 500 technicians from around the region had had paid money to sit there all day long to show you the dedication of this industry and learn about the latest and greatest from the best and the brightest. And it really was a, a great day to be there. What a great event. We met a lot of people, saw a lot of new friends, saw a lot of old friends, people I haven't seen in a long time. And um, I, I just have to do this real quick. For the girlfriend of Bob Turner, Bob Turner was there. Nobody knows who Bob Turner is. Bobby Turner was my original cohort in crime doing radio a million years ago, way back in 1991. And, and there I am doing the show, and Bob Turner walks up, and that big grin, he hasn't changed a single bit in the, in the 15 years since I've seen him last. And uh, it was just a good time to see him. And he, we had to take a picture. We took a picture together. And for his girlfriend or his lady friend, whatever she might be at this point, um, he, he said, you know, you got to take a picture with me because Pat doesn't believe that I really know you. And I said, not a problem. So, Pat, yes, Bob does know me. Uh, we are we are friends. And um, uh, he was one of the original cast of characters on this radio show a million years ago. So um, let's just leave it at that. So, uh, you know, anyway, moving on. Um, busy week at the shop. We got out of there last night at quarter to nine. So you can imagine what kind of week we had. Danny and I were busy pounding it out and making it work. And just a bunch of interesting cars. We finally finished up, and I told you I would report on this, the 03 Chevy Tahoe, the fuel tank that was obsolete. And and by the way, as an aside, wouldn't you know, we, we get the gas tank for the 03 Tahoe, and we go through all the things that we have to to make that fit and work. And I'm out on IATN. If you recall, we met with we had Scott Brown from IATN, the International Automotive Technicians Network website for mechanics by mechanics, uh, on the show last week. And wouldn't you know, I'm out on IATN in the forums the other night, and there's a guy on there with an 03 Expedition, a Ford Expedition. Hey, I can't get a gas tank for this truck. What do I do? It's gone obsolete from Ford, and da 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 da. 
I steered him over to Nordstrom Auto Recyclers in South Dakota. I explained the whole thing to him. It just it boggles my mind. It, you know, and on a, on a separate note, who cares how many miles the oil change will go and how long the engine will last? It doesn't matter. In 10 years, you're not going to be able to get parts for the thing anyway, the way they're going and the way they're writing it. That's, that's a horse of another color. So we worked on the 03 Tahoe, and we were able to squeeze it back together amidst the rust and just, just amazing how the vehicle has fallen apart. Although judging by the amount of snow New England is getting right now, uh, within the sounds of our voice, we've already talked to a few Maine and, and New England callers today that are talking about there's, they've got 10 inches of snow and it's still coming down. Uh, you know, you understand why the trucks and the vehicles are in such rough shape. But there was a braided ground strap, and this is I thought this was interesting. There was a braided ground strap out of copper braid that came off the fuel filler neck, ran from the top of the neck down to the frame, about, oh, you know, 24, maybe 30 inches away. And Danny said, "What's that for?" And I said, "Well, it's static electricity. They're 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 concerned. They've got to be. There's got to be a concern about static ground or static electricity. Maybe when the guy puts the nozzle in the pump, uh, you know, when he puts it in the neck, or or maybe for some other reason, maybe radio interference off the fuel pump when the fuel pump's running. They're worried about a static discharge. You know, uh, it's 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 not a question of that. It's a question of why did they make it out of braided copper." And I don't have that answer. I think, you know, maybe it was more flexible. And I said I would ask on air, see if anybody had a better idea. So if you have a better idea on why that was like that, you ever look at it? Is Why is it a braided ground strap? Why isn't it insulated? Why isn't it? Why do you have to make this separate, you know, strap like that? There's got to be a reason because this one had disintegrated and fallen apart. So we put a we put an insulated ground on there and I don't think it's going anywhere. But um, just, just a, you know, why? There's always a reason why. As Pierre Raspo said on the last uh, segment of last week's show, he said, be like a two-year-old. Ask why when it comes to an automobile. So we're asking why. See if anybody knows. Drop me a line. Drop me an email. Ron at cardoctorshow.com. Let's kick the garage doors open. Let's go over and talk to, is that Abel in Bridgewater, New Jersey, with some comments and questions about a memory saver. Abel, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Uh yeah, thank you. How you doing? Good. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I um, I have a 2010 um, uh, Acura MDX. Okay. And uh, so the batteries now, it's original. Um, so we're going on seven years, and I um, it's working okay. But I uh, like as I learned from you is, uh, don't trust it after it's been this old. This old. So sure. Yeah. Uh, was looking was looking into replacing it, and. Uh, I have a memory saver that I was going to connect to the OBD port. And as I was looking through uh, what type of batteries are out there and doing some research, I ran across um, something on the website uh, that said um, it, had the, it had the battery. So this is the battery we recommend. But it had a, a warning saying, do not use a memory saver on this vehicle. I wonder why. And uh, Sorry? I wonder why. I, I I know of no vehicle we don't use a memory saver on, and there's 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 no there's no suggestion not to. It's usually quite the other way around, to use a memory saver, simply because we want to retain the settings. Right, and um, and, and that's why I didn't understand why. And I actually called um, called that uh, parts uh, store and asked them uh, if they had any idea why, and they said they didn't know. They right. just said, look, research it on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, who, who is the parts store, just out of curiosity? Um, it's AutoZone. 
Well, okay, there you have it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, uh, let me let me tell you something about parts houses. Auto parts houses are fast becoming where it seems. Uh, I don't want to say that. This is a harsh statement, and and I'll admit that up front. It seems that parts houses, some of them, are becoming places where if you can't do anything else, now you go and try and sell auto parts. I mean, listen, there's a bunch of great parts houses. O'Reilly Auto Parts, professional, 100% you know, on top of their game. They know what's going on. Advanced Auto Parts, right behind them, okay? So there's a bunch of great ones. AutoZone, I don't hear good things about AutoZone. It's it's sort of becoming the 13th grade. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a weird comment. That's not the answer somebody should be giving you. Somebody should be giving you, gee, I don't know. Let me go and you know find out. Let me go contact the web people, or here's who you can call. As far as well, yeah. as as far as why they're saying not to use a memory saver, uh, you know, I can't come up with a reason why not. Every every Acura MDX and everything else that rolls into the shop, uh, the industry insists on using a memory saver as 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 part of a battery replacement. Yeah, and that's why I was doing. That's why I was going down that road. And I was wondering, okay, well, is there something? Because I remember one of the uh, one of your shows previous, you mentioned about uh, sometimes you need to marry the battery to the vehicle, and there's all this other type of stuff. Um, so I figured, you know, maybe there's something else that I'm not aware of, uh, but uh, it seemed kind of odd to me, also. Yeah, no, the the reference to marrying the battery to the vehicle is is coding the battery is a conversation generally we have about Ford vehicles, BMW, Mercedes. A lot of the European upper-end vehicles, and it's slowly working its way into GM and some of the other car lines where when you replace a battery, they want you to do a, a, a BSM, battery service monitor reset, uh, to actually tell the onboard computer, hey, I changed the battery, now look at the resistance value and it will charge accordingly. So, you know, that's that's clearly part of the process. And for the record... If you're interested in a good battery, go get something with PowerFrame Grid Technology. You hear me talk about it. PowerFrame Grid Technology is a it's a technology, for lack of a better way to put it. It's how the battery is constructed. It's how the plates are physically made. And PowerFrame Grid Technology is a better mousetrap, in a sense. It's the plates are made better. They're formed differently than conventional batteries, and they do last longer. So that is a proven study and proven reports. If you want to Google something or research something, research PowerFrame Grid Technology and see what that brings up, and you can find more online uh, to read about it on your own, PowerFrame.com. But clearly, PowerFrame Grid Technology is what you're looking for in the way of a battery. And that's not any one particular brand. That's in you know, a, a, a brand of battery, but that is a style of manufacturing, if that makes sense for you. Yeah, thank you. No, I'll certainly look into that. Okay. Um, and then just take it from there. Yep. I really appreciate your help. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good luck to you. And if you get an answer to that, Abel, give us a call back. I'd like to hear what kind of an answer somebody comes up with. But like I said, I know of no reason why not plugging in and doing a memory save is is considered the right way to go. That doesn't make any sense to me either. I think you're on the right path. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Welcome back. Why don't the car doctor rolling along at 855-560-9900. Let's get over to John in Winslow, Maine, 14 Jeep Grand Cherokee. John, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, uh, uh, I had uh, I went down for an inspection and my annual 
oil train. Okay. And they, they did the oil change, and they, they did the inspection, and they told me that I, they, their comment was the steering rack was leaking. So I figured it must have been the power, the power steering. That's all I can understand. But I told them, I said, if it would be leaking, wouldn't there be something on my garage floor? Right. And they said, well, we don't know. And I said, well, I don't have anything on my floor, and, and I always garage my car every time I bring it home. This is a this is a 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee, right, John? Yeah, with 37,000 miles on okay. it. Okay. Who's and that? I'm who's the only owner. I'm the original owner. It's never been in an accident. Right. Who's they? Is they the dealer, or is they someplace? The dealer. It's the dealer. Okay. I've and, always taken my cars to the dealers. That's what... But that's my fourth Jeep. Right, and you know, are they saying that it's not under warranty? That it, it's it's going to be? Yeah, a... it ran out of warranty actually. But L- uh, let me guess. I don't, it, I don't it, mind that. I you know I just don't understand that they say that there was no fluid in my reserve. And I says, well, where did it go? They just tell me, well, we don't know. Well, let me ask you this question. They just did an oil change, right? By the yeah, way, I'm, the I'm, same day. I'm guessing your I'm guessing your warranty ran out at thirty six thousand miles, and Correct. you know, right? And here you are at thirty seven. When was your right. last? Just out of curiosity, when was your last oil change? What mileage do you know? Uh, it was six thousand miles ago. Okay, so thirty one, thirty two. So here's I, an, I love I bring it in a little early. Here's another argument for extended range oil changes, right? Can you imagine? Yeah. I just just as an aside, John. Can you imagine if you were running, you know, there's talk in the industry now, they want to go to 20,000-mile oil change intervals by mobiles coming out with some special oil, and the oil manufacturers are talking about stepping it up to where you'll get an oil change once every 20,000 miles. Here's a perfect example. Can you imagine if you had a 20,000-mile oil drain interval and you, you just tried to drive this vehicle to the point where you ran the power steering system completely dry? You would have damaged. You would have damaged the pump. You would have damaged the rack, and it would have been a much more costly repair. Not to mention your safety. Ah, what do I know? Uh, let me get back to the question. So, my comment here is: When you had the oil change done, did they charge you for power steering fluid? Um, I had the bill in front of me, and they they, they just say filled all fluids. And that's it. They don't. They don't tell me if it's, if they put a, flower, a power forward in it or not. Right. I'm a little shocked at 37,000 miles that this vehicle needs a... Are they saying it needs a steering rack or there is another type of leak here? What did they say the leak was? They're saying... Uh, I'm, I'm reading the invoice they gave me. It says steering rack leaking. Okay. And they ordered the parts, and the total bill will be originally will be a thousand dollars. I'd get a second opinion. I would. Listen, yeah. listen. There's two ways to approach this. You're either going to get a second opinion. Have you purchased four Jeeps from this same dealer? Correct. Okay, John. If you purchased four vehicles from me and you were a thousand miles past your warranty. The conversation would be, John, I'm really sorry, but the steer on the assumption the steering rack really needs to be replaced. All right. And I'm not saying it does, I'm not saying it doesn't. I just right. I just you know what? If it, it it just if it walks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's a duck. It's just starting to quack a little bit for me. 
I would go back to the dealership and say, listen, I've, I've come back to you guys four times. Four Jeeps over what, probably 12, 15 years? Correct. You know, yeah. Even less than that. Well, because I usually trade every three years if All I right. can. John, you're a great customer. I am. I know that. And uh, I'm still not done talking with these people because I had other problems that day and I had to get home. Right. And I couldn't get back to them. Right. So but my I'm... my point is it's a 1,000 miles past warranty. Right. Every dealer in the country known to existence, from everyone I've talked to, they have some latitude as far as customer satisfaction. All right? Correct. Now, if it legitimately needs a rack and you're just out by 1,000 miles and you've done all the service, they owe you something. They, I don't care what it is. Maybe they'll buy the part and you pay the labor. They owe you something. All right. You've been right. Too, you've been too good a customer. You're entitled. You you know you you've counted on them to keep the vehicle in condition, and I'd have a hard time swallowing that pill because I always try to look at it from the customer's point of view. Listen, I'm not bragging or patting myself on the back. We had a customer come in 22 months ago. We did four wheel brakes on the vehicle, and they went a total of 8,000 miles in 22 months. One rotor was bad. It started to develop a brake shake at speed. Put the rotors on the car, didn't charge them anything. They looked at me and they said, why? And I said, because you're a customer, because that's the value of a customer. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, look what Ron did. My point is, you're a customer. You've been paying the bills all this time. You're entitled to something. You got you know, you're counting on the mechanics to take care of you and um, you know, do what's supposed to be done. So I'd go back and talk to them. A, are you sure it needs a rack? And B, is there something you can do for me because I've been such a good customer and I continue to come back and count on you guys? Let's see how they do it. Like I always say, a good cup of coffee conversation with your mechanic every once in a while doesn't hurt the relationship. Let me know what happens, John. I'm curious to hear. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor. Let's get over and talk to Bob in Montauk, 04 Chrysler, and some problems with a battery dying. Bob, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? How are you doing, Ron? Good. What's going Hi. on? Uh, I got a 2004 a Dodge Caravan. Okay. Uh, it's used as a third car, so I just use it for you know, every three weeks or four right. weeks for picking things up. Right. Anyway, you, normally I have to jump the car to get it going. Okay. And this wait, 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 wait. What do you mean jump the car to get it going? Well, the Bob? battery's usually dead. I know I have a, something wrong in the uh, power window that drains it slowly, but that wasn't what I was calling about. But okay. The battery's usually dead. Right. So I usually have to jump it. I went to jump the car after it was sitting for about a month, and the, right away I didn't even have the key in the ignition, and the starter started cranking over. All right. Um, so, what, so, in other words, you hooked up the jump box or your your alternate power source. And yeah, I, I jumped it from my other car like I always do. Right. Probably did it 100 times. Right. But I didn't have the Kagan ignition. So when I went to, as soon as I touched the battery from both cars and connected the batteries to jump it, right. but the starter in the car just started turning over. Okay. Uh, and what did you do to get it to stop? Well, I, I disconnected the battery. Okay. So then I had my son go and turn the key on, and I did the same thing. 
as if you were starting the car. And the, the motor would go, but it was making all kinds of strange noises and so on. So after it cranked on its own, we'll call it the ghost crank, after it did the ghost crank, you put the right. key in the ignition, turned the key on, hooked the battery up, and it started by itself. Yeah. But then it started to make like a, and I, and I bet you it sounded like something was getting shredded. Yeah, it was a real strange sound I never right. had before. Right. It, it it probably sounded like as if you went to start the car and the engine was already running and you hit the key to go to crank and it made that how that like, loud yeah, high pitched. Almost yeah. like the solenoid was kicked in and right. it was, yeah, yeah. So, you know, why can't we have a bad I mean this could be complicated, this could be simple, Bob. Why can't we have a bad starter solenoid that engaged the starter on its own? You know, if we had a dead short in the solenoid to ground and the solenoid was engaged, it pushed the winding out, pushed the drive out, and it just started cranking. Right? This could be a bad starter. This could right. this could also be, um, do you have an after anything aftermarket in the vehicle in the way of an alarm system or a remote start? No. Okay. So then what I would tell you to do is I would get down to the starter. You're going to have a heavy cable, which is the battery feed. And you're going to have a solenoid feed. If I remember right, it's black with a white trace, um, but it's going to be a singular solenoid feed. This should be a, uh, a, a Mitsu or a Denso starter. And I would look to see, do you have power on that? Because that's how the starter is getting energized off the starter relay once you turn the key to engage it. If you've got no power at the solenoid, but yet the starter cranks on its own, starter's shorted. You've got an internal problem in the starter. All right. Now, one more point. Yeah. I probably jumped cars in my lifetime at least 200 times, all right? right. One prior to this, three times prior to this, three jumps prior to this, let's say about a month and a half before that, not paying attention, I hooked up the cables wrong. I had uh, positive mm. and negative and so forth, and it took me a minute to realize that before it happened. Even though I jumped it and drove it a few times after that, could that have fried something? Could. What, what kind of damage do you do if you put well, your re, own polarity? Well, you, you've, you've, you've put reverse polarity in there. Yep. Every, every processor, every electrical armature, everything just kind of went whoosh, the other way. Um, not not the processors, but the electrical units. So the fact that it ran afterwards, the fact that something didn't explode is kind of interesting uh, because I've seen that done, oh, I'd say probably a half a dozen times in my career by other people, and every time the battery has exploded. Uh, you know, it makes a loud noise depending upon how big of a battery and how good of a connection. So a anything's possible, Bob, but you got to kind of take the problem one step at a time. Yeah. You know, I would, I would definitely, I would really look at why is the battery going dead so much. Yeah, I know the power window and the driver side doesn't work, and I think it's just drawing the current because I played around with it one day and it started working then it stopped again i gotta do probably you, change the motor do but. you do you have a do you have any kind of a digital voltometer or anything bob yes all right so why don't we can you set it to milliamps you got a milliamp setting on it yes um so why can't we put it on a milliamp setting and put the meter in series with the negative cable and you know give it about first of all it's going to take about 45 minutes for the computers on the vehicle to time out a normal good vehicle yeah 30 to 45 minutes for it to time out all right and then once it goes to sleep, you should see less than a 50 milliamp draw. So if you have it in amps and not milliamps, you'll see 0.5. I'm sorry, you'll see 0.005, okay? But if you have it in milliamps, it'll be a 50 milliamp draw is what you're looking for. 
And anything anything that or less is acceptable. Anything higher than one at a time, pull a fuse out, put a fuse back. Pull a fuse out, pull a fuse back. Just to see which circuit finally gets the draw down to an acceptable level. Uh-huh. You know, at, at, at least then you've got a fighting chance because if you continue to do this, you're just going to end up putting a battery in the car. How old's the battery? It's probably about three years old. You know, it's you're just going to end up replacing a battery and spending money you don't have to spend. That's true. Yeah. All right. Does the car sit outside? Yes. All right. So then let's let's fix the draw, and then if you're only using it once a month, and I should tell you this part too. You know, three weeks is probably the outside fringe of when a car will start. All right. And then after that, most of the batteries today, because of the electronics, will will finally you'll need to jump it as you're doing. But you know, without the draw there, maybe it'll last longer. Maybe you'll go out and kick it once every two weeks to get it to run. But if it's sitting outside, I really like to take a solar charger, plug it into the OBD2 port, leave it on the windshield, you know, leave it inside the car on the dashboard, you know, they suction cup it to the windshield, and charge the battery right through that and maintain the battery. I didn't even know they had those. That's a great idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can just, just, just Google search solar charger OBD2 port and watch what comes up. My God, you'll be there reading half the afternoon. And, and and then at that point, you're not char- – now, you know, the, the problem becomes in the winter with snow and the windshield gets filled with – you know, you don't – but you know what? If you had a jump start at three months out of the year versus 12 months out of the year? Definitely. You'd be a happy camper. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I was waiting for the summer to play with the window. I hate doing things in the winter. So. Right, right. And, <laughs> but but, and, and listen, I, I hate to see you go through and, uh, you know, fix the window. Yeah. And then that doesn't solve it. That's true. You're right. So, you know, let's do an amp draw test. Yep. 50 milliamps is, is industry-accepted practice, all right? And, you know, one at a time, there's, there's, there should be two fuse boxes in that car, one in the passenger compartment, one under the hood, the battery distribution box. Keep in mind that you've got to give that onboard computer 45 minutes of time out. Now, that being said, all right, you give it 45 minutes of time out and you want to get to the fuse box in the car, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to open the door. It's going to wake up the computer, right? Uh-huh. So you're going to have to either, you know what I mean when I say you're going to have to manually trip the door latch? Uh, or are you talking about the up and down? Uh, no. No. The, the, the striker. Open open, oh, a, open right, a car yeah. door. You know where the striker hits the yeah, latch definitely. when you close yeah. it? Yeah. You, you take a screwdriver and you trip the latch and lock the door. Uh, all right. Um, if it has an internal switch built into the door latch. I don't remember what an 04 looks like. If you don't see an external switch around the door frame, then the door ajar switch is built into the latch assembly electronics. Okay? So you're going to have to manually trip the latch. If it's built into the door frame, I'll take a small piece of wood and a large pair of welding vice grips with a rag on the inside so as not to hurt the interior if it's a nice car, and I'll just tack it against that switch and push the plunger down, and that keeps. That, then the computer thinks the door is closed. Then I can open the fuse box and do whatever I want and pull fuses out one at a time and not affect the draw. Because uh-huh. you've got to keep the car. The car has to be told that it's asleep. Otherwise, you're never going to get an accurate draw reading. Oh, great. All right, excellent advice. All right, Thank sir? You. Yes. Okay, you let me know Thank what happens, Bob. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. 855-560-9900. Well, I hate, I hate, I have a car with a bit with a dead battery. I, because you know what, the, the other thing is, cars as an emergency vehicle, 
I guess the Boy Scout in me comes out. I was always taught to be prepared. You never know when you're going to need that third car, and when you know, are you going to have time to jump start it, or you know, do you got to count on it to go? So, um, you know, let's let's fix the draw problem. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Andy in the car doctor coming back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy in the car doctor. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Let's go over and talk to Yosef in Wichita, Kansas. Ninety two Ford Crown Vic. Let's see what's going on here. Yosef, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Thank you, Ron. How are you doing today? Good, sir. What's going on? Well, I've got a no crank, no start on my grandparents' 1992 Ford Crown Victoria. I've got all the dash lights when they come on, but it sounds like it's clicking, but I don't know where the relay or the uh, solenoid is on this vehicle. Well, the, the starter relay should be... Um, it's going to be in the battery junction box under the hood, but let's talk for a real quick second. You turn the key on. Do you hear a click or any noise at all, or is it just it just sits there and does nothing? A click. A click. A singular click. Yes. Okay. So why don't we go down to the starter and take a look. There's going to be a single feed, a white with a light blue trace. It actually starts out as yellow, light blue, and then goes white light blue down at the starter itself and just do we have power down there when you hit the key to crank why can't we have a bad starter make it simple before we get too deep into this another question i have noticed that the amp gauge on it it does go down a little bit is that normal or not what when you're going to crank it when you're going to start it yeah sure it's it's that 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 tells me that probably what's going on here is the starter is trying to do something, but it can't. And you're just if you're sitting there with your hand on the key, expecting it to crank. You're just deadheading the starter, creating a current draw. But I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't take that as any real diagnostic routine because I never try to count on the thing that's broken to tell me what's wrong with it. Uh, you know, in that sense, because then okay. I'm, I'm 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 learning the wrong way. I'd rather see you sit there and you know do a voltage reading. Do you have a voltmeter? Uh, no, sir, I do not. Okay, do you have a... My dad um, does. All right, and maybe just take a volt reading, negative negative side of the voltmeter at the battery, and then always measure okay. battery, always measure, always measure source voltage, right? You want to go across the battery, negative to ground, positive to hot, and just, you know, do you have 12.3, 12.5 volts, so at least you've got a good a battery with good standing voltage. And you know, we just bought a new battery, so okay. So let's check the battery because new doesn't mean good. New means never ever worked. Um, even though I'm sure it's the Which same I'm problem. A fa- I'm ahead. a fan of your favorite saying yeah. about that too. So. N- never ever worked. Um, plus, you know what? When we when we do one of the things I've learned in auto repair over the years is when I do the same thing over and over, B. It keeps me sharp, and it, it helps me to remember a diagnostic routine and a pattern so that I'm consistent, and I do the same thing over and over and over, and I tend not to miss a step, and I fix it faster. It's when I start jumping around, and, and granted, testing source voltage is just a real basic first step, but when I start jumping around, okay. that's when I start getting beat. Um, you know, you don't, get, you don't get beat too many times in this business physically, you get beat mentally, and it's the mental mistakes that cost us the game. 
and it's 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 just. Do you it's just have the way a recommendation for a good starter? Well, if it is the starter, if you're going to put a starter in this, if it comes down to being a starter, do you have an O'Reilly Auto Parts around you? Yes, we do. Then get down to O'Reilly Auto Parts and tell them the situation. You got a '92 Crown Vic. It's your grandparents' car. You're looking for a good quality starter. Ask them about warranty, and they'll tell you what brand down there, Kansas way, is going to work because they'll know what works and what doesn't, and they're very good, honest, straightforward folks. All right. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. As a matter of fact, you can probably get out to their website if you get out to O'ReillyAuto.com, and you can you know see what brands they carry and maybe have a little more knowledge before you walk in the door, but... Uh, let's go with, let's measure voltage at the starter. Are we getting a signal from the ignition switch and go from there? And if you need more, Yosef, I'm here for you. You just give me a call. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron and the end of The Car Doctor rolling along. Let's real quick, let's get over to Rick in Pittsburgh. Rick, we're going to take you, but we may have to hold you over the top of the hour. That's okay. We'll just, we'll get it solved. We'll start on it now. That works. Rick? Oh, I appreciate your kindness you're, very much. You're Thank really you. Welcome, sir. How can Here's I help? Here's a situation. I I had to buy a car very quickly after someone hit my car and totaled it. Um, so a friend of mine went to an auction. He purchased a 2004 Buick LeSabre. Okay. But soon, really soon after I took the car over, I got this knock underneath the uh, really somewhat loud, repetitive sound underneath the engine. Da 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 like that. This doesn't sound good. So I did my research. And I guess, no, not good at all. And I was thinking either flywheel or timing chain. Okay. But somebody else mentioned a harmonic balancer. And I'll be honest, I'm not that well-versed in cars, but I'm a pretty good researcher. Okay. So that's where, you know, being able to draw on the expertise of someone like yourself is much appreciated. As, as much as we are tempted, and I appreciate that, I really do, uh, you know, as much as we are tempted to use the internet and I use it we all do we all listen I, I don't think I could do go through the day without Google I would I would be lost at times because you just ask it so many questions um, you know on a side note you ever wonder the word fuzz comes from why, why do they call, why did they call the police fuzz back in the 60s well we googled no. we googled that today you know what the answer was because the, the police Wait. were always deemed as being fussy and fussy became a, a, a derivative of fuzz, or that's where fuzz came from. That's why. They, so, how could you live without Google? I mean, how great is that? Anyway, onto your car. Um, my concern would be: Are you doing damage the more you drive it? So, as much as we're tempted to let the internet try and diagnose it, my other thought is: Do we want to really, you know, try and get a mechanic to look at it? And I, and I think that's going to be step one. And I'll tell you what, Rick, the, the, we're going to stop for the news at the top of the hour on most of the affiliates. But hang on the phone, and when we come back, I'll give you some ideas on things that I think this could be and what somebody may want to look at. So don't go away. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you.